So what is the role of law enforcement in Judaism? What is the Torah's view on law enforcement, police, the role of police, the rights of police, um, and how far are they able to go? So to start with, the Torah believes that every single society must have laws. In addition to the laws of the Torah, the rules of the Torah, the 613 commandments that we committed in a covenant with God that we Jews committed to fulfill, we also have what's called the seven Noahide laws. The seven Noahide laws are universal rules that God originally gave to Adam and later again to Noah that God expects all humans on earth to keep. All people or societies are required to keep these seven laws. I'm not going to go now into the detail of the seven laws. We've done a class on that subject in the past. But one of those seven laws is the requirement of every society to create their own rules for the governing of society and their own judicial system to be able to rule on what the proper laws are. So we need to have both the um, lawmakers, people's a way that society can create fair and just laws to create an effective society. We also need law deciders, people that can decide when there's a question as to what the law is or should be, people that can make that decision. And then a part of that rule of dinim, of creating a legal system, is also having law enforcers. We need to have law enforcers to ensure that there are, that people will be forced or required to keep the rules. The Torah tells us, and this is one of our 613 commandments, that every Jewish society is required to appoint both judges and police. Judges, too, rule on what the law is when a question arises, um, as well as lawmakers to create laws necessary for society, as well as police to enforce the law. And it is clear that this rule is not only for Jews, that have committed to the 613 commandments, but this is part of the Noahide commandment of having dinim, of having a, um, a legal system, a system of laws that not only do we have to have laws, we have to have people whose role it is to enforce those laws. Um, the Midrash tells us that without judges, police have no value because you need competent people to decide define what the law is, then without police, judges have no value because nobody would listen to them. So it should be clear that Judaism does not believe in the anarchist utopia. Judaism disagrees with the very, with the basic anarchist belief that in theory, we can create a perfect society where everyone just does the right thing without laws or without law enforcement, um, that if we just had a perfect society and everyone looked out for each other and everyone cared for each other, we can have in theory a society without a legal system, without leadership and without law enforcement. Judaism does not accept that argument. The Torah does not accept that argument. And we believe that God instructs all societies that we must organize, have a form of government, have people in place to decide laws, judges, 
as well as people in place whose role it is to enforce those laws. Without that, society will become chaotic. In Pirkei Avot, in Ethics of Our Fathers, in chapter 3, Rabbi Hanina, Skad Hakonim says that we should pray for the authorities, for the welfare of the authorities, for the welfare of the state. And Rabbi Hanina is speaking about the Romans. Now, Rabbi Hanina himself was murdered by the Romans. He's speaking about the Roman government. He says, pray for the welfare of the Roman government. They were tyrants. They were anti-Semitic. They persecuted Jews. Yet Rabbi Hanina says to pray for them because a bad government is better than no government. A totalitarian state is better than no state. And places like Iraq or Libya, perhaps, kind of Syria, perhaps are evidence to that. A totalitarian state is better than no state because in the words in, of Rabbi Hanina, if not for some form of government, people would swallow each other alive. So without a legal system and without people whose goal it, role it is to enforce the law, we will have chaos. People w naturally will not uh, live together peacefully. We need to have a legal system and law enforcement in order for people to live together peacefully. Um, a anarchist society without any leadership and without any laws or law enforcement cannot survive. And so that is the Torah value. Um, that should be clear. And the Torah tells us in next week's Parsha, Moses tells the people that as soon as they came out into the desert, they were an independent people. Moses appointed police over the Jewish people. So even in the desert, Moses appointed police. There were Jewish police in the desert to police the people to make sure people followed the law. And this is when they were in the desert right after the Exodus and they were led by Moses. Definitely in future generations, we always had police. And in every Jewish society throughout our history, we've always had a police mechanism. Every, um, in the land of Israel, later in Babylon, when there was an autonomous Jewish state in Babylon, we had a police system. Every kehila had people who were the full-time or part-time or volunteers whose role it was to enforce the law. So we definitely believe in the concept of law enforcement. We believe it as a critical, um, a critical um, pillar of society. Society cannot survive without police. Society cannot survive without law enforcement. The question though is what rights or what do law enforcement have what abilities do they have to enforce the law? What tools can they use? Do they have the right to use force? So clearly, a, a central part of law enforcement is the I right to use force in enforcing the law. Law enforcement, by definition, are not law persuaders, people that ask you nicely, to do the right thing, but law enforcement by its very definition are people who tell you, um, are people who use force to enforce the law. Before I go further, are there any questions about on what we've said so far? 
Yeah, you touched on some things that are coming up in, you know, politics, but I don't want to, uh, you know, the, there's the, we're not sheep. We don't have to follow what people are telling us to do. And then there's the defund the police. And do we always have to follow what people tell us to do? Clearly not. If someone tells you to do something bad or someone's trying to harm you, clearly you don't have to follow them. Um, should you generally follow the laws of society? Um, it's beyond the scope of this class, but there's no question that we should definitely follow the local laws um, unless they're aimed against us and to harm us. We definitely should follow local laws, even if we think they're unjust, so long as they're not, um, so long as they're not aimed against us. Uh, we definitely should, and they're not um, immoral to the point that we're doing something ethically wrong. But generally, we should follow the laws of the land. We have a concept in Talmudic law called dinah de malchus dinah. The law of the land is the law. Details of that concept is for a subject of another class. But definitely, we should generally follow the law. But if somebody's telling us to do something that's going to harm us, um, then clearly we don't need to face harm. Um, and we don't always have to listen to somebody who's trying to harm us. It's like recently... Not sure if I was hearing that they said because of COVID-19, it's okay to have religious services, but no chanting and no singing. So I was like, <laughs> how what, that just leaves the sermon. I mean, what, you know, what? Um, I don't know about that in particular. Um, I can give you an example in places where Jewish circumcision or Jewish slaughter was outlawed. We would go ahead and do it against the law without a question places where Jewish education was outlawed, we would do it against the law without a question. Um, for that matter, um, anti -Jewish law, other anti-Jewish laws, we definitely broke the law. But if there's other laws, even if we disagree with them, um, we definitely should generally keep the laws. Okay. So we believe, as we said, that law enforcement have the right to use force. That's the central tenant of law, the concept of law enforcement. And the concept of using force already goes back to Moses himself. We know as a young man, Moses saw an Egyptian hitting a Jew, and Moses killed the Egyptian who was hitting, beating the Jew. Um, later, Moses sees two Jews fighting, and Moses works to separate the two or tries to stop them from fighting. He later stops shepherds in Midian, from chasing away Jethro's daughters. He ends up marrying one of Jethro's daughters later. Um, but we see Moses himself taking on a law enforcement role, using force and even killing somebody in an attempt to save someone else from harm. Now, the truth is that it's not only up to law enforcement to use force to um, enforce the law. Anyone has the right to use force to enforce the law if someone else is in danger of being harmed. So if someone is in danger, we have a Jewish requirement to do everything we can to save them. You see someone drowning, you have to do what you can to save them. You see someone struggling in some other way, their life is in danger, or even they're, um, they're being hurt. We have to do everything we can to help them, including harming other people or stopping other people who are trying to harm them. The Talmud, however, tells us that the right to use force 
against one individual to stop them from harming somebody else is essentially de facto law enforcement. In other words, anyone in a position to stop someone from harming somebody else takes on the role of law enforcement. They become, in the words of the Talmud, a shliach bezden, a um, court rep or legal representative with the right to stop somebody from hurting somebody else. And we so, actually learn this from the Torah itself. The Torah tells us, in the book of De Deuteronomy, that if two men are fighting, and the wife of one of them comes and attacks the other man to save her husband, so the Torah speaks about what happens if she uses excessive force. However, we'll talk about excessive force in a moment. However, the Talmud makes it clear that from the very rule of the Torah, which discusses what happens if she uses excessive force, it is clear that she can use force to stop somebody from hurting her husband. And for that matter, the Talmud says anybody, by extension, can use force to stop someone from being hurt. And they essentially become an extension of law enforcement or take on the role, in, the role of law enforcement when they have um, the, when the, somebody is being hurt and when they have the opportunity to stop someone from being hurt, even if it involves using physical force against the one who is um, doing the crime or who is hurting somebody else. Yes, Bart. Yes, yeah, so does that mean uh, we should all get uh, guns to protect and help enforce the law? Whether we should get guns or not is a very good question. It's a separate subject. Um, there are arguments both for guns to protect oneself and protect others. There are also arguments against guns. It may be dangerous to yourself or others. And um, it's a subject that we've discussed. We did, we've done a class on the subject before. We definitely can address it again. Uh, but it's really a subject of its own. But if we do see somebody being hurt and we have the ability to help them, we must step in to help them. Yes, Elise. So I have two questions. Um, the first is, what if the police themselves are corrupt or using their powers of enforcement are not enforcing the laws that society has established, but they're enforcing something that has self-interest in it. So that's one question. And the second relates to the event that triggered a lot of the, the, the protests, but it has, um, it has wider meaning. And that is, in this country, if you interfere, if an individual interferes with what the police are doing, even if they're doing something that is wrong, then that person can be accused of a crime and that is interfering with the police. And so you can go through any number of different events that all of us remember from Rodney King to a few weeks ago. And if the public had physically interfered, that would be, they could be charged themselves. And maybe you're gonna address that other times. To answer, to address your two questions, thank you. Um, so firstly, if police are corrupt, as they are throughout much of society, because corruption is a common 
problem in society and um, will always be. Um, as a societal solution, in other words, the long-term solution is to work against corruption. In other words, ultimately, law enforcement work for the community. Their role is to enforce the laws created by the community. And so the community has to, in some way, police the law enforcement or um, manage them to ensure that they're not corrupt. Um, and so that's a challenge that we have to deal with as a community. Um, I think the other issue, which really is part of both of your questions, is what do you do if you see somebody who has the role of law enforcement harming somebody else wrongly? Um, so I think there's two points. Um, in event that law enforcement are doing their job, in other words, stopping somebody from committing a crime, or as I'm going to mention in a moment, um, stopping someone from, or sorry, stopping someone from committing a crime, stopping someone from harming somebody else, um, and you attempt to stop law enforcement or you get in their way, um, then you're allowing that crime to be committed. You essentially become an accessory to that crime. Um, so there's no question that if law enforcement are doing their job, it would be wrong to get in their way or to try to stop them. That would make you an accessory to the crime. In event, though, that law enforcement are not doing their job, in other words, they themselves are the criminals, they themselves are breaking the rules, then there's no question that as citizens, we have a responsibility to save anybody who is unfairly being punished or who is unfairly being hurt, wrongly being hurt. Any innocent person being hurt should be saved and should be helped and we have a requirement to do so. In fact, the previous Rebbe, um, Lubavitcher Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak, um, was famously in prison, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago, um, in the Soviet Union for um, his work in um, building an underground Jewish network. Um, and in 1927, he was arrested. However, he actually writes in his diary that in his lifetime, he had been arrested seven times. It's quite an achievement. Um, twice in the Soviet Union for his underground activities. First was a minor one, the second one was a major one. Um, he had been previously arrested five times in Tsarist Russia. Um, most of those arrests had to do with his um, public advocacy work. Um, for the Jewish community. The czars were somewhat anti-Semitic. And so they, um, if somebody was getting in their way, um, the czars government would arrest them on trumped up charges. So he was arrested multiple times. But he does write in his diary that the first time that he was arrested was when he was 11 years old. And as a child, when he was 11 years old, he saw a um, policeman in his hometown of Lubavitch, stealing a calf from a Jewish butcher. And so he, though he was 11 years old, he stepped up to do something and he slapped the policeman. And the policeman promptly arrested him. Um, he was lucky that he was from a very prominent family. His father was the rabbi, was the rabbi in Lubavitch. And um, he was quickly released, um, the policeman himself, uh, he was able to prove that the policeman stole the calf, and the policeman himself was fired and arrested. Um, but he writes about his father's great pride that he had been arrested trying to help 
someone from a corrupt policeman. So, um, and it's something that he was very proud of um, and he wrote about in his diary. So um, there's no question that if you see someone even with law enforcement uniform and badge um, committing a crime or harming another individual um, wrongly, um, we have a, an obligation to try to help that individual. There's no question about that. Now you gotta be careful, you gotta use your judgment. Um, you gotta make sure you know what's going on. Um, in that instance, the Rebbe happened to know that this policeman was stealing something. Um, but, um, but otherwise you can, uh, uh, definitely you should step in. There's no question about that. Um, just because someone wears a badge doesn't give them an excuse to break the law. And we all have a requirement to help other people who are being attacked when we can. So while we citizens only have the right to use force to save other people, um, the Torah says, Lo do not stand by your brother's blood. We must use force to save other people from harm. Law enforcement go even further and have the right to use force to stop anyone from breaking the law. In any law, they have the right to use force. As representatives of the law, their role is to use force to ensure the law is kept, um, because if not for that, no law would be able to be enforced. So what about the use of deadly force? Do the police, the law enforcement officers have the right, um, or for that matter, any person, have the right to use deadly force to save another person? So the Torah, is, the Torah tells us, as we mentioned, Lo do not stand by your fellow's blood. You must save someone in danger. Our sages say um, the, in the Talmud that this law ap applies to anyone who poses a threat to another person. So somebody who threatens a life, you have to do everything you can to save the life. And if someone poses a threat to another life, or for that matter, if someone is raping a woman or raping somebody else, you have to do everything you can to save them, including taking their life. So you can kill someone in order to save someone from murder or rape. And this is true both if you yourself are in danger, if someone is threatening your life, or if someone is... Um, if someone's threatening your life, or if someone's threatening you with rape, you can kill them to save yourself. And so too, if someone's threatening somebody else's life or threatening somebody else with rape, you can kill them to save yourself. What happens if you are uncertain what their intent is? What happens if you're afraid they may want to kill you, but you don't know? You don't know if they are threatening your life. It may not be you have reason to suspect that they pose a threat, but you don't know for certain if they, if they are a threat or not. So this is an issue that Hoskim, um, halachic scholars have debated. Um, however, the consensus appears to be, Rabbi Shlomo Zaman Erbach addresses this question directly, and the consensus appears to be that if there's reasonable reason to suspect that someone is a threat to you or somebody else, that is enough to kill them. 
So even if you have reason to suspect that you're, you have reasonable reason to believe that your life is in danger, or you have reasonable reason to believe somebody else's life is in danger, you can kill that individual to take, uh, you can kill that individual to save a life or to save someone from rape. What if you can save yourself or save the person who is in danger without, and I should mention this person who is threatening a life or threatening rape is called the halachic term, the Jewish term for that is a rodent, a pursuer. And the rule is that normally, though we're not allowed to kill, we value life more than anything else. A rodef's life has no value. In other words, you can kill a rodef, and not only can, you must kill a rodef in order, some, a pursuer, in order to save a life, your own life or that of somebody else. Now, what if you can save your own life or the life of the individual who is threatened without killing the rodef? What if you can maim them or stop them in some other way so that they will not pose a threat anymore? You can disable them without killing them. Are you still allowed to kill them? So the Torah, in the case that we mentioned earlier, um, makes it clear that um, if two people are fighting and somebody else comes, to try to defend the person who's being, who's threatened, um, they cannot do more than it takes to save a life. So um, it's clear that for a regular citizen, for a regular person, um, if they could have saved themselves or the person threatened from the road death without killing the rodef, they must do so. If they kill the rodef, it would be considered accidental murder. Not intentional murder, they didn't intend to kill, uh, or they didn't, it's not, they didn't intend to kill for no reason, but it rather would be considered a manslaughter or an accidental murder, a murder, an unintentional murder. However, the Torah only addresses regular citizens. The Talmud says this with regard to regular citizens, but um, the Talmud is unclear with regard to law enforcement themselves. What if law enforcement go beyond what they need to do and they kill someone threatening another life when they could have stopped them in some other way? They could have perhaps maimed them or used something else other than deadly force to stop them. Are they also guilty of murder or not? What would be the reasoning to differentiate between law enforcement and other people? So there are those who argue that given that law enforcement represent the law and their role is to save people from, from harm, we give them a certain level of immunity. And this is similar to immunity that Torah law and our civil law does something similar, gives to um, people in different professions, say doctors, get certain level of immunity and other people in order to ensure that they're able to fully perform their job. So the Talmud is unclear as to whether law enforcement has the same, um, has the same rule as an individual um, who kills 
a rodef when they were not required to do, when they could have saved the, themselves or the person in danger um, another way. Um, and so it's unclear whether law enforcement also um, it is considered accidental murder or murder to some extent. So there's a debate about this question um, among medieval scholars, among Rishonim. Rabbeinu Nissen says that it's absolutely forbidden. It would be considered murder. Rabbeinu Yerucham says that it is not murder. The consensus appears to follow Rabbeinu Nissen. It appears, the consensus appears to be that law enforcement that could have saved somebody by someone in danger or themselves in danger, by maiming someone or disabling the rodef in some other way and kill the rodef are guilty, not of first degree murder, but of a lower level murder, um, the equivalent of an accidental murder where they were negligent, uh, but they are still guilty and it is absolutely forbidden to do. They must take every effort, and this appears to be the consensus, you must take every effort to try to stop uh, to uh, try not to kill the Rodef, if at all possible. If the only way to stop the Rodef is by killing them, then definitely you can kill them. What happens when somebody is committing a crime or harming some, another person or property, but are not posing a threat to any life? So, if someone's committing a crime, law enforcement have the right to use force or have not only the right, the requirement to use force to stop them from committing a crime. Um, and for that matter, if somebody is in danger, if someone is being hurt, again, law um, any person, not only law enforcement, have the requirement to do everything they can to stop the individual from being hurt, stop the um, damage, the property from being damaged. However, they do not have the right to kill. You cannot kill somebody who is not threatening a life. The challenge is, and this is a challenge that we've seen a lot um, discussed in recent weeks. Um, the challenge is that um, while, rep while law enforcement representative of the law have the right to take action, force, use any non-lethal action to stop someone from committing a crime. And by extension, law enforcement also have the right to use, to use force to enforce punishments, legal punishments, um, whether arrests um, or other forms of punishment, law enforcement have the right to use force for that, take punitive action against somebody who has broken the law as the law requires. But what happens if trying to stop someone from committing a crime or arresting someone will escalate to the point that they can pose a danger to whether law enforcement themselves or to others and will need to be killed? So what happens, and this has been, I think, um, one of the big issues that have been discussed recently, what happens, somebody has committed a minor infraction of the law for which they should be, they're supposed to be arrested. That's what the law says. Um, and however, there's reason to believe that they will resist arrest or they do resist arrest. And as a result of the resisting arrest, they, things are escalate and continue to escalate to the point that they now threaten 
the life of law enforcement or threaten the life of others. So clearly, once the life, someone's life is threatened, the law enforcement or anyone has to and must take every action possible to save a life, including killing the individual who is threatening a life, if necessary. The question, though, is, what if there's reason to believe that it will escalate to that point? Should law enforcement back off, not arrest somebody who they have reason to believe may resist arrest and escalate to the point that they pose a threat to someone's life? Should they back off and not bother to make arrest, to make the arrest in such a scenario? Should they not try to stop someone from damaging property if there's reason to believe that trying to stop them may escalate? to the point that a life may be in danger. So the Torah tells us, interesting law, if someone is breaking into your home at night, you have the right to kill them. And if you do kill someone breaking into your home, says the Torah, it is not murder. There is no penalty. Someone breaking into your home, you have the right to kill them. Why is this? So the Talmud, our oral tradition, makes it clear. You can't, it's not because theft or trespassing is a rule that is for which the punishment is for which there is a death penalty. And definitely no individual has the right to make their own punitive. Um, their own punishments, but rather it is because we presume someone breaking into your home is threatening your life, because when they see you, they will kill you. It is presumed, the Torah presumes, that most um, thieves breaking into homes are armed or prepared to kill in event that they meet somebody or somebody tries to stop. And so therefore, any thief is considered um, a potential murderer, a potential threat to your life, and you do have the right to kill. Now, it's clear that this is only, this rule only applies if there is truly reason to believe that the thief poses a threat to your life. However, if there is no reason to believe that the thief poses a threat to your life whatsoever, the example the Talmud gives is the thief is your parent. They would never harm you. Or you have some other reason to believe that the thief poses no threat to your life whatsoever, then you definitely cannot kill them. But if you have reasonable reason to believe the thief poses a threat to your life, even though they haven't even seen you yet, you do have the right to kill them. Bart, did you have a question on that law? Yes, uh, if that, if I think, I'm not a lawyer, but I was told by a lawyer that that is not consistent with American law. I don't so, know. I believe it varies from state to state. In okay, other words, the laws, the so laws then, uh, of... What do we do then? So we got to obviously follow the California law. Is that right. It? We have to follow California law. We mentioned earlier we have to follow the local laws um, when they don't directly go against the Torah. Um, so yes, we do have to follow the local laws. I don't know what the California laws are offhand. Um, and, uh, but this is essentially 
very similar to what they call the stand your ground laws. In other words, there's no question that if you conf are confronted by the thief directly, the thief sees you and shows, threatens you in some way or another, or appears to be a threat in some way or another, maybe even they're bigger than you, um, and they appear to be prepared to attack you, there's no question that you can, and this would be true, I believe, anywhere, there's no question that you can kill them if you have the means to do so, because they pose a threat to you. If you're alone, there's nobody else there, they're much bigger than you, perhaps they're armed, there's no question that you can kill them. However, the rule over here of the Torah is that even before the thief confronts you, you still have the right to kill them. In other words, you don't have to flee. If you have a back door and you know that the thief is breaking in through the front door, you don't have to run out of the back door to save your life and leave the thief in your home alone. Rather, you can, since the thief, if they would bump into you, will pose a danger. Rather, you can stand your ground, stay in your home, defend your home, and if the thief poses a danger, be prepared to kill. So commentaries point out that this rule, this kind of stand your ground law, that you have the right to protect your home, and if that means that the thief will confront you and pose a threat to you, kill him, and you're not required to flee, that means that you can take steps to enforce the law, even if taking those steps will likely lead to a case where someone's life will be in danger and you would be required to kill the rodef, the pursuer, since they've now put someone's life in danger. In other words, in defending the law, you can create a rodef situation, a pursuer situation. However, unlike the rodef, when someone already is a pursuer, you are required to do everything you can to stop them, to save your life and save the life of others. The moment someone is actively threatening a life, you must do everything you can to save your life and save the life of others. However, when it comes to defending your home, the Torah doesn't require you to kill the person invading or to stand and defend your home. You are not required to protect your home, but if you wish to protect your home, you can do so, even if that means you will need to kill the invader. What we see from here is something interesting. We are not required to stop someone from committing a crime or from harming our property if we believe or we have reason to believe that it can escalate into a road if into a pursuer situation where someone's life will be in danger but we have the right to so to answer our question based on this do law enforcement or for that matter any other individual have the right to enforce the law or protect property with knowing that enforcing law, protecting the property, may likely lead to a situation where someone's life is in danger and where you may have to kill a pursuer? And the answer is yes, you can protect the law 
and you can defend your property, even if it will likely lead to such a situation, though you are not required to do so. So it would then be presumably up to law, the law enforcement themselves, or perhaps the policies that the community creates for law enforcement to decide in what situations, and perhaps this is something that really needs to be decided, situation by situation, um, as to whether to confront the individual who is committing the crime, to arrest the individual who needs to be arrested, when it will likely escalate or it has a good chance of escalating and leading to a situation of rodef where someone where they will have to be killed or avoid as avoid pursuing the law avoid enforcing the law so that it does not escalate again one can choose which one to do both one is allowed to do so but not required to do so um and so um to answer for our own situation, the law enforcement would have the ethical right and legal right to do so under Jewish values, um, and but would not be required to enforce the law in such a situation. And perhaps we as a society or police departments themselves um, can create rules as to when it would be worthwhile doing so and when it would be not. I think it should be clear that anybody who thinks they can evade arrest permanently um, by, um, by using force consistently to evade arrest, I think clearly that would be a problem to society because that would allow for chaos, for people to eternally evade arrest um, and commit crimes. Um, so clearly um, there has to be a limit on it. And where that limit is drawn, again, it's a gray area um, where we as a society have to figure out the right place to draw that limit. Now, I think we can argue, and there have been arguments today, and it's really beyond the scope of this discussion, that there may be things that law enforcement can do to avoid a law enforcement situation escalating to the point where a life is in danger. Suggestions such as um, police, at least the first responders, not be armed with deadly weapons would avoid the common um, scenario of people evading arrest trying to um, take control of the law enforcement's own deadly weapons and then posing a danger to other people um, or other such scenarios to avoid the possibilities of escalation may be a good idea but would be beyond the scope of this class. What about when no life is in danger? What about when a law enforcement officer, for that matter, any individual who is defending the law, defending themselves or somebody else, um, chooses to use more force than necessary. We mentioned earlier, if they kill someone, when they could have stopped them in another way. But what if they're just trying to, um, they're trying to enforce the law, but they use more force than necessary. They use brutal force in um, the, in carrying out the law. So the Torah itself addresses this. The Torah speaks not in enforcing the law, but in punishment. One of the punishments in the Torah is lashes or whipping. Um, the, whether that's a good idea or not a good idea um, is a subject of its own, but that is one of the laws of the Torah. And the Torah says that if, a, if the representative of the, um, if the representative of the law who is carrying out 
the lashes, whips one too many. So they're told to give a certain number of lashes and they do one too many. They hit more times than they were supposed to. Then um, they are, if they accidentally kill the person from that last hit, um, they are guilty of accidental murder. And um, even if they cause harm, they would be guilty of the harm they have caused. Clearly, law enforcement have no right to use more force than necessary. More force than they have been instructed to use. What about when they're trying to stop a crime from taking place or defending themselves from attack? Can they use excessive force? Now here it's a little bit more complicated because when you're trying to defend somebody or trying to defend yourself, there is no exact amount of force to use to defend yourself. So there's no, so you can try using a little bit of force where you will have less chance of being successful. You can try using overwhelming force where you will have much, much higher chance of being successful. So the question is if somebody is attacking, attacking you or attacking somebody else and you need to stop them, can you use overwhelming force to ensure that you will be able to stop them immediately? So not surprisingly, this concern of law enforcement using overwhelming force is not a new concern. It is a concern that has existed throughout our history. And we have many chuvot, we have many responsa addressing exactly this question. In one very famous chuva, in one very famous response from Rabbi Yaakov Rischer, who was, lived in the 16th century, he was the chief rabbi of Amsterdam, um, was asked about exactly this case. There was a Jewish policeman who was attacked by a criminal when trying to make an arrest. And the policeman used excessive force, beating up the individual they were trying to arrest. And the question was, does, did the was the policeman in the right, in the wrong, should they be punished um, for doing so? Um, they were further asked, uh, interestingly, he was further asked in that same question, should this policeman, if he should be face trial for what he did, should this policeman face trial in the jurisdiction where he works, where he's essentially part of law enforcement, or does he have to go to a different jurisdiction? since his own jurisdiction would be biased. So anyway, Rabbi Yaakov Rischer answers this question that based on what we said earlier from Rabbeinu Nissen, that just as a regular person has no right to, if they kill someone, who a, a pursuer, a rodef, who could have, when they could have just maimed them or stopped them in some other way, that is considered murder. So Rabbi Yaakov Rischer says, by extension, if you have the ability to stop somebody without hurting them so badly, without using so much force, you are required to do so. And any force that you use beyond what is absolutely necessary is illegal, and the police or the law enforcement or any other individual using force to, in, their, in their own defense, anyone using excessive force is guilty for that excessive force and should be tried for using excessive 
force. And um, this appears to be, many others have quoted um, the Shpos Yaakov, Rav Yaakov Risher since that, um, in similar cases that have come up repeatedly throughout our history um, in this, that using excessive force, which is often very hard to define, but if we can prove that law enforcement used excessive force in defending themselves or defending others well beyond what they need to, um, it is unacceptable, and they are responsible um, for um, the excessive force that they used. They should be tried. They should pay damages. Um, they personally pay, pay any damages. I know there's been some debate about that. And, um, and they are guilty for usage of excessive force. So to conclude, we Jews, Judaism believes very strongly in the importance of law enforcement in any society. We believe society cannot function without law enforcement. It's part of our seven Noahide laws. Every society needs to have effective law enforcement who use, have the right to use force to both protect people and property as well as to enforce laws. Law enforcement, and for that matter, any individual, has the right to kill if there is clear or even likely danger to a life or uh, danger of rape. They have the right to kill if necessary, whether it extends to other laws or not is debated, but we can presume it doesn't. Um, law enforcement can enforce the law even if there's reason to believe that the enforcement may escalate to the point that someone becomes a rodif, becomes a pursuer, and they may have to be killed, but they are not required to enforce the law in such a situation. And so they would have to judge each situation as to whether or not in that situation it is worthwhile enforcing the law, but definitely they have the right to do so, even when there's reason to believe it will escalate and someone's life may be in danger. However, law enforcement cannot ever use excessive force when enforcing the law. If they do, they are responsible for the for excessive force used, used and must pay damages and must pay for, the, for using excessive force. Now, our sages say, when the Torah commands us to have appoint policemen in every Jewish community, our sages say that the mitzvah to appoint police is not only for society to appoint law enforcement, but it is also for the individual. In other words, every individual must also employ their own police or their own personal law enforcement or their own power of self-control. And the power of self-control is crucial in order for us to have a just and fair and peaceful society. Some people claim that police are the cause of greater crime. Without them, crime would go down. We said earlier, um, maybe the police tactics may, that, for police tactics, that may be true. Definitely, we believe in the value of police in general. Um, other people point to other factors, societal factors, racism, poverty, other societal factors as the causes for crime. And while there may be external factors that cause crime to go up, Ultimately, we believe that crime is dependent on two factors, or there are two factors required to limit and eliminate crime. The first is a person needs to have a strong belief of what is right and what is wrong, and the belief that they are responsible for their actions. 
And this belief involves the belief of a higher moral authority, a higher moral power that holds every individual responsible for what is right and for what is wrong. Someone who believes in a higher power, for in a higher sense of morality, will not do things wrong. If they believe they have to pay, not just to law enforcement or if they're caught, but must are responsible to the ultimate moral authority, to God, to a higher force for doing right or for doing wrong. Somebody who is what we call God-fearing will not do things wrong because they know they're responsible for everything they do. That's one crucial factor. The other crucial factor is they need to have self-discipline. People are sometimes in situations where they get angry, where perhaps the people around them are doing something wrong, and they're drawn to follow the crowd, or where they're upset, or where they're tempted to do something wrong. And they know it's wrong, and they know God is watching them. But without self-control, without one's own personal police, without one's own personal law enforcement within oneself, one is not able to, one will end up doing things wrong. So in order for every individual to avoid crime, avoid doing the wrong thing, we need to believe in two things. We need to firstly have a strong sense of right and wrong and a higher, a higher sense of morality that we are responsible to, to a higher, a higher morality, um, that we don't do things wrong, not because we're going to get caught, but because it's wrong to do and because we're responsible for everything that we do to God. And then we also need a very strong sense of our own police. We need a very strong sense of self-discipline. And if we in society can teach these two things, we can teach people to believe in a higher value, a higher moral power, a higher sense of right and wrong, as well as teach people the importance of self-discipline, of self-control, controlling oneself. Don't do what you feel like. Don't do what others around you are doing. Don't follow your instincts, but do the right thing. These two traits, we can really bring down crime and really ensure that our society becomes a better society.